I'm Julie Hyde, and I believe you can't be a leader of others until you are a leader of self. It all starts with leading you. So if you are ready to be the best leader that you can be, you're in the right place. I'll be chatting to a diverse range of leaders who will spill the beans on their leadership, how they changed the game, insights into their mindset, and how they built the courage and resilience to be a modern leader with impact. Let's get into it. Today is Lissy Abrahams, and she is an individual and couples psychotherapist. She was one of four candidates selected into a four-year couples psychotherapy master's in London at the world-renowned institute, Travis Stock Relationships, and later she tutored and lectured there. And Lissy returned to Sydney and founded the Sydney-based therapy clinic, Heath Group practice. Alyssi is the author of The Relationship Reset and has a successful online course, Fight Less, Love More, and another coming soon. And that's about transforming couple relationships, aka it's time to pull up your socks, which I love. So, and The Relationship Reset is something that we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Alyssi. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about you and why you chose the path to becoming a psychotherapist? It's actually a journey that started when I was younger without knowing that I would end up as a psychotherapist. When I was 15 years old, my mum became a family lawyer and there was just something so fascinating about the work that she did where she was, you know, she'd bring home interesting tales of things she'd learned, experience that her and colleagues had had. And it was just so captivating to me that this idea that people who had chosen each other, many of them had created families, got into a place where they were tearing each other apart, trying to dissolve these relationships some of them could do it really well, others couldn't. Others had um, really terrifying, tragic, disturbing endings and trying to work out the, you know, the ending of the relationship because a lot for what I realised is for a lot of people, ending the relationship was just one step but really ending the marriage continued all the way through divorce separation processes and often for a lot of people long after that as well. And you know, of course, uh, I'm also human and I grew up in a family where there could be fights. At times I wondered, would my parents stay together or not? And for me, this was just a question of what is this thing called coupling really about? And so that took me on a journey into it when I went to London to do my training. And then when I came back to Australia nine years later, I started my own clinic to really work with couples and individuals. And that that work with couples is very much, uh, yeah, it is so much about also how we relate to ourselves. And that's a huge focus in my work is what am I doing in a relationship? So for me, it's really a a big part of the way I operate and which will be seen with my book and also in my courses is very much how do I take responsibility for how I operate and why I think the way I do, why I react the way I do, and how does that impact my partner? And how do they do that to me? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting point. And sometimes that can be the hardest thing when you have to take responsibility for like your part 
in the breakdown of a relationship or, you know, where it's got to at a certain point, I'm assuming it could make you feel very vulnerable, particularly if you have to maybe extend the olive leaf first or the olive branch first. (laughs) It's a funny thing, isn't it? We don't like doing that. I think where this comes from is that inside all of us, there's a connect, there's the sense that we might not be good enough. And I think when we're our actions show it in the world somewhere that we're not good enough or we haven't done the right thing or we've hurt somebody, it's like, don't make me acknowledge my greatest fear or one of my greatest fears. We work so hard to protect our image and to be right. Uh, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of us do. And to really give someone an apology from the heart that says, I see you, without having to protect myself. It's a very hard thing for us mere mortals. I know I struggle with it sometimes. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of sorry for what I said, but I've I've actually learned more now. But it's hard for all of us, you know, to really give that apology. Yeah. I love what you just said. Like, I see you and I also acknowledge, like, you know, as you say, like my part in this. And I'm assuming that's a really big part of why couples might come to you because they don't feel seen or heard by their partner? Absolutely. It's a huge thing. And that's what a therapeutic space really allows both partners in a couple relationship to come and do, which is to be heard in a way by somebody who can really entertain very different perspectives. So I don't need to buy into one version over the other. So I sit in my mind, I tell them this, that I can actually hold their different versions. And then I'll also have my own version of what's happening and what I think is going on. So it's that being able to see and hear, but also being able to really think about their individual processes and how they play out together. Because I look at a lot of couple work as if it's on a stage and imagine that we're all the creators of our own play, our own performance, and we invite our partner onto the stage with us and at times we push them away or we invite friends onto that stage with us and then we might play things out with them. So if we can imagine our mind is wanting to create these psychodramas with stories and plots, we, we play it out in our everyday lives. <laughs> I can so see this happening, 100%. You know, it's like um, I've made something mean to me uh, from what, you know, my husband said. And so I'll play that out in my mind in terms of where that's feeling, you know, me not being good enough or I'm, you know, doing something wrong all the time, whatever that is. And then, you know, I might talk to friends and invite them in um, and get them on board as my allies, as an example. So, yeah, I can so see the play as such a great analogy. And, yeah, the friends are a great one because they'll confirm a lot of what we want to hear a lot of the time. And so we've chosen our friends very carefully sometimes for and who we tell for the advice that they'll give back to us. Does it feed our story or does it calm it down? And a lot of the time, you know, as good friends, we we champion our buddy in the story, yes. but it doesn't it doesn't always help, I have to say. It might give some temporary relief, but it doesn't really help what's happening at home and um, what we do with all of our, our tricky bits that we all have. I'm yet to meet a person who doesn't have any tricky bits. No, there's no one who's perfect out there. If there's something I've learned from my cancer diagnosis, it's that life is short 
and we all have a choice about how we live and lead. When life throws you lemons, you crack open the GNT. My inspiring keynote designed for leaders and those who know that we are all leaders, the day my life changed forever, how to be the leader of your own life, has been described as life-changing, both personally and professionally. And I am now delivering this presentation to corporations, associations, and teams across Australia. If this is something that interests you, you can find out more via my website, juliehyde.com.au. I love the word reset, Lizzie, and that is the title of your book. So can you tell us, you know, the premise of that and why you call it a reset? The thing I know with couples is by the time they come to see me in my consulting room, their dynamic is really entrenched. They've been Mm. playing out scenes with a lot of conflict, blame, a lot of distress, a lot of loneliness a lot of overwhelm and not to forget they've got their everyday lives that are also ongoing trying to function with this distress at home and research has shown that it can take couples six years to contact a a couples therapist and if you can think about how upsetting one fight can be if we're replaying fights but the trigger might look different it might be over a book or the kids or the car not being ready whatever it is we can play that sort of the feeling of it over and over again. And even one episode can leave us pretty exhausted. But if these cycles of conflict are going for years and years on end, six years is a long time and it does a lot of damage within a household. A huge amount of damage can happen to the relationship. And Mm. so what I've seen is homes cannot feel like a haven. People try hard to resolve their conflict, but they don't know how to do it because we don't know what we don't know. And... A lot of the time, conflict can feel brutal. Now, I'm not talking about domestic violence. I'm talking about just this everyday conflict, and it starts to alter how we feel about our partner, and we can get in quite a rut. Now, it doesn't mean that we make them bad all the time, but we can start tippy-toeing, we can start omitting information, we can start staying later at work, we might become less intimate, we might not want to have sex with them anymore because, you know, we've constructed someone in our own bed to be a threat to us. And that's part of the psychodrama. And that's when it gets serious, when we start becoming negative about our partner in, a, in our everyday life and about the relationship or how we feel about ourselves in it. That becomes really entrenched. So for me, writing this book, it, it came during COVID. I contacted the publisher and they were happy for me to write this book and they commissioned it. So for me, it, it was really important just to put this out because even during COVID, people were really struggling. A lot of couples struggled. So... It's a reset to say, here's what you don't know about what you're doing. This is what I can tell you from my consulting room, what I see over and over again. And I've written it in a way so that it's about how to take the process from what's inside your mind. How is your mind shaped? Why do you relate the way you do? And here's what you can do about it. So it does become a reset. It is a muscle, though. We have to do the work. But once you get an understanding that this is not what it seems to be, this 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 scene that I'm calling my partner is a problem is actually not as that that's an oversimplification of a much bigger issue which is how am I wired to be in relationships Mm. why do I think like that why do I react like that and we don't know that unless we've done that piece of work to really understand ourselves we just don't have that 
manual. Uh, so I decided to create a manual actually for relationships mm. and how to fix them. Wow. That's so powerful. So it's really helping people see what they're doing and how they might be relating to their partner in a particular way and then understanding what to do about it. I suppose through your work and, you know, dealing with so many couples and individuals themselves, does there come to a point where they're like, it's just too hard, I just don't want to do that? It's such a great point you're raising because there is a lot of fear because remember we were talking before about wanting to protect our ourselves and our you know it's all to do with our ego and how we're our sense of self our identity i can understand why there's fear because a lot of the ways that people behave and their defensive maneuvers are very unconsciously encoded we've got no access to that and so we don't know why we're so fearful even but there's something there that makes us frightened the thing i can say is we, if one partner wants to develop, there is nothing worse than one other part, the other partner saying no. And it's, a, it's if you can imagine that there's a baby and we all see babies and we think how amazing and one day there's the expectation this baby will crawl and then they're going to walk and run around. If think of a couple relationship like a baby. If we get together and it's all gooey and lovely, but it does need to develop. And if couples can't develop together, they're going to develop apart. And that is going to often put a kind of ticking bomb into the relationship. And if, if it doesn't even end, it, there will be a lot of resentment about the work not done. So we would never say to a baby, I don't want you to flourish. But when a partner, you, their fear is so big that all their disdain or their contempt for their partner, whatever it is that prevents them coming into therapy or, or doing a relationship reset or, you know, getting a course to help them online, if they say no, they're actually hindering the development of the entire relationship and the two individuals in it and keeping them locked in something that's pretty um, uncomfortable and will keep the cycles of discontent going. So if you want your relationship to run, skip, jump and to make your home a haven again, then you have to do something. It's not going to land in your lap. There's no wishful thinking and we can't just use hope. Oh, I hope it gets better. I mean, hope is not a strategy. Absolutely. It's only a wish, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes and in these types of situations. So really strong points you're raising. And so I am assuming that you encourage people to come and see you way before that six-year mark. And does it need to get to that crisis point before people you know, think about resetting? Can it just be to perhaps just regenerate the relationship? Absolutely, because whatever we still don't know, it's going to have an impact and it doesn't have to be a catastrophic catastrophic impact. It can still just be an impact that might not be helping the relationship. So, I mean, I mean, for me, it's the most transformational journey one can go on when we really yeah. get to know ourselves. So as an, at an individual level, this, this book was written for the individual about how they relate. So you don't even have to be in a relationship to have a relationship reset to understand how do I operate because that will affect then who you choose next as well if you want to be with someone. So for me it doesn't matter if someone's been in a, is not in a relationship, if they're entering one, if they're 
been in one for 15 years, 30 years. For me, it's just I want I want all of us to recognise that we're doing something and that we're, we're playing out the psychodrama, as I was saying, but we're doing something yeah. to those in our vicinity and we play it out most with our partner or with um, someone we intend to be our partner. And so one of the things I go into with my work is why do we choose a particular person? Mm. That's one of the areas that I really look at in my, my course, Fight Less, Love More. Why do we choose that person? What are we looking for? And a lot of what we're looking for when we choose that partner is safety. It's not just that they're fabulous and we want to spend our lives with them. We, there's a safety element for us or for our unborn children if we want children. We're, we're planning, we're, we're calculating who is this person likely to be for me? And the truth is we have no idea who they're going to be for us later. We're hedging our bets, we're doubling down, we bring in the marriage celebrant and put on pretty outfits. We've got no idea who we're going to be and that's mm. the real marriage, not the wedding day. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So what do you encourage people to do in like taking that first step? So is it, you know, reading your book first before they come and see you or is it doing the course or is there like three things that you encourage people to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also one of the reasons I'm putting these resources out is there's just not, not enough couples therapists to meet the demand. So this is a way of taking a bit of the heat out of the system that just can't support all of the couples needing help. So for me, it is, there's lots of ways of doing it. And it definitely depends on your you know, your finances, where you're up to, you know, for some people who don't have great resources, they can go and find my book in the library. It's in the libraries. And if it's not there, it should be. And well, I know that it is in a lot of them. So just ask the librarian to pick up a copy. For other people, the book, the book's a great introduction, but the courses go into more detail. And they really are a deeper dive into one's own mind. And I've structured Fight Less Love More to be like a therapeutic process. I took eight months to write it. I really wanted people to get enormous value in it so that they could really gather up what they needed to get properly. So it's a deeper dive into it. Therapy, if, you, if it depends where you're located, it's depend, it depends on availability. I do get a lot of people contacting me for sessions. Unfortunately, there's a limit to how many people I can see, mm. as I said. So, But I'm always putting out new resources because I know there's such a demand there. That is so true because I remember um, it was someone a while ago asked me if I knew uh, a couple's counsellor for her and her husband and I was just, no, I, I actually don't. Through all my networking, I really don't. So it's definitely fantastic that you've got the online resource as well as a book as well as your services. And what I'm wondering for you as a person, Lissy, is like you must hear so many stories of, you know, hurt and, like you say, drama and um, conflict. How do you protect you and your energy when you're dealing with that? I think I, I asked the right question to the right person when I first started studying psychology many moons ago. And this was an old family friend who was a psychologist. And I said, how do you deal with what's coming through the door and what your mind and body does with that? And he said to me, I didn't cause their issues. I'm here to help them. 
And I think that just gave me such a position at the very beginning of my career to not have to take it on and carry it, but to just keep thinking, how do I keep helping? Now, of course, some people's situations are so dire that I can be affected and certainly I can be worried about people with, with their life situation. However, in general, I, I don't carry as much inside of myself as one would imagine, given the exposure to this type of work. I am quite self-protective, but I also get a lot of time to decompress. I go into the park, I do a lot of grounding, take my shoes off, you know, in winter, try not to get there first thing in the morning, it's too cold. So I do a lot of self-care and I, I eat well and I don't drink alcohol. So I'm very aware of what is taxing, you know, for my system and self-care is a huge part of it because I need to wake up feeling vital to get on with my day and help people and be there for them and not be struggling in my own life. So I'm very, I'm, I'm careful about, you know, walking the walk and doing, you know, and the talk and doing all of that. I'm never great with that phrase, but there it is. Um, I walk the talk. There it is. <laughs> That's good to hear because, you know, this podcast is called Leading You. So it's really awesome to hear stories of people who are leading their life while leading others through whatever it is for them that they're championing that they're leading so um yes the self-care is so important because you come across as so incredibly chilled and as you say grounded and happy so I thought there's got to be a really great strategy that you implement Well, it's taken, I have to say, it's probably taken me into my 50s to work out what it is. You know, it's it takes a long time to work out how you really want to inhabit one's own mind and body on the planet. And, you know, mm. one of the other things I do is I don't watch a lot of the news. So mm. I may not appear current in what's going on in the world, but that's deliberate because for me, these news cycles are breeding drama, crises, and a lot of what we're seeing on the news is designed to jangle our nervous system and to keep us jangled and watching more and living in fearful states. And I, I don't want to live in that state. I really don't. So I try and work out, well, what's that balance? So occasionally I'll tap in and then I regret it because it just doesn't add value to my life knowing, you know, what happened in a car crash in Europe three months ago. I don't need to know that because I know that, you know, in any country at any point in time, all sorts of things are going on and the specifics Mm. aren't always that relevant because it's just the human drama playing out in many different ways and what humans do to other humans. And I see that in the consulting room in a smaller way and then it gets played out on a bigger stage and we can see it geopolitically as well. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I totally agree with that. I shut myself out from the media as well. And depending on how I'm feeling, I also will shut myself off from social media because often that is something that doesn't make me feel good at particular times as well. It's really important that part because I don't know if I'm alone. I don't imagine I'm alone with this, that if I'm on social media too long, I start to get this little sick feeling that I'm not living properly. And that's where I don't want to get into that part, that sort of experience where it's just that bit too long or a bit too mm-hmm. mindless and I start to get this gnawing in my system that this is not what I've been put on this earth for. I can do so yes. much, but then I need to turn off. Yeah. Yes, such a time waster, such a time waster. 
Totally. So listen, now, how can people get in contact with you and get access to your course and your you've shared where your book is, but uh, how can they get access to your course? All of my information and courses are at lissyabrahams.com. And I've also got a whole lot of free resources there where I've got blogs, all of my interviews. I mean, not all of them, but a lot of my interviews are on there, TV appearances. And people often just end up having a look in there and seeing what they like and if they make contact, my details are on there for people to contact me. And I'm always happy to hear from people. My email is lissy at lissyabrahams.com. If there's anything you want to understand, questions, feel free. I will always endeavour to answer them myself. And, uh, yeah, I'm always happy to hear from people. Wonderful. Yes, and I'll share your links on the show notes that will go out with this podcast. So, Lizzie, it's been so wonderful chatting to you. Is there a final message that you would like to leave with our listeners today? Yeah, I'd love to. We live in a world that's fraught. We live in a world that is giving us messaging that isn't actually in alignment with how we're wired as mammals. We have a mammalian system and with that, you know, the way that we're living is is often disconnected. It's often frantic. It's often distressing. What I want to say is if people can do the work so that they can actually enjoy their their system without all the jangling around of the nerves and the nervous system and find a way to improve their mental health, then just do it. We don't get a do-over here. Our lives are precious. And to really be able to find ways for you as an individual to thrive and then you get to pass that on to other people so they can thrive as well and your children, everybody, neighbours, it just alters how we how we put ourselves out. So I guess in honouring of the mammals that we are, it's to do the work so that we become freer. What a perfect final message, Lizzie. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you and thank you for doing the work that you do and for making such a difference for people out there. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure.